Welcome to Christ Chapel College, the college outreach of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope everyone experiences what Jesus calls abundant life. So we unapologetically point to Him as the source of life and joy. If you're a college student in the Fort Worth area, we'd be stoked to connect with you. Find out more at ChristChapelCollege.org and on Instagram at ChristChapelCollege. Hey guys, my name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I would love to. Uh, We are going to be jumping into Hebrews. So if you got your Bibles, uh, we are going to be at the end of chapter 5 and then into the first 12 verses of chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible or if you do the iPhone Bible, which is also a good Bible, that's great too, but you want a hard copy of one, we should have some on the back table back there and you can grab one of those and you can keep it. Uh, That's our gift to you if you want to take that. Uh, with you just to have a a hard copy. We love that. Um, We preach through books of the Bible. So if you're a guest, we love that you're here. We really do. We love that you're here. Um, We're going to, last year we preached through Romans. This year we're preaching through the book of Hebrews. And so just kind of uh, verse by verse, uh, today is going to be sweet. We are talking about, and the author of Hebrews is talking about the idea of Christian maturity, right? What it looks like to be a mature believer and really the importance and really the warning behind what happens if we do not mature in our faith, we do not deepen in our faith. And, uh, and the picture that I, I think of, even when I, I've studied this passage the last week or so, is the idea of a tree that either has shallow roots that's going to get pulled out of the ground really easy, or a tree that's got really deep roots, and what we're called to be these deep believers, because the world is coming after you. Uh, the world is coming after you, and, and especially if you're in college and you're a young adult, man, that you are surrounded by temptation. You're surrounded by things that are going to try to pull you away from your faith, pull you out of your roots. Um, even, even I love Francis's heart for uh, the reason that we do kind of a little Halloween kind of hangout thing is just because we know even that this is a weekend where there's just a ton of temptation. Um, and so, so much of the world you live in is that way. And so I just kept, I kept picturing this idea. Um, <clears throat> if you've ever seen somebody Uh, try to wrap a chain around a stump and pull a stump out of the ground. And then when you got a stump, it might only be like this far off the ground. It might not be a very big stump, but the roots being so deep, you see somebody try to pull that thing off the ground. If you've never seen it, there's a lot of YouTube videos of, um, honestly, just morons trying to do that. And luckily for you guys, I have two of those videos. So uh, luckily I brought them for you just to bless you with. There's hours of YouTube videos. Here's here's a, a clown right here in a BMW trying to pull a stump out of the ground, right, in his Beamer, he is about to ruin his entire engine and tires. What a joker. Okay, watch when he opens the door. This is my favorite part. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, this is a good one, too. Okay, so this clown, okay, look at a bigger truck. Rips off the bumper, but he says, no, 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 no. I'm not giving up that easy. My bumper is half ripped off. I'm going to just try again. Brilliant. Oh, SMU guy right there just pulled the bumper straight off, man. Straight off. Clearly, clearly a Mustang. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, so, right, I, I show those partly to bless you. I watched hours of videos of people trying to do that. It was really a huge waste of time. But <clears throat> the visual I want to stick in your mind, right? The visual of who we are called to be, these people who are deeply deeply rooted. And that is the challenge. And honestly, the passage today, uh, we're going to see some really, really sobering cautions. And it's going to get 
real in here uh, because of where the author of Hebrews is going to take us. And so we're going to have some really sobering cautions and some exhortations, right? These challenges um, for Christians to take seriously depth so that they don't just get pulled out of their faith. But also, we're going to stumble across one of the more controversial passages in all of Hebrews. Anytime uh, a a preacher is going to approach the book of Hebrews, they're going to realize, ooh, when you get to chapter 6, it's going to get gnarly. And that's where we are today. There's some stuff here in chapter 6 that's really controversial um, that really has a lot of theological implications that I'm going to kind of take a a side tangent and we're just going to nerd out on theology. Um, But I think it's also going to be really practical for us too. So uh, here we go. We preach the Bible verse by verse. And so we're going to start in verse 11 of chapter 5. And uh, and the author, man, he has been laying this sweet framework of how we can approach confidently Jesus and how approachable he is as now our high priest who brings us to God, this beautiful thing. Then starting in chapter 11, he is going to come in hot. Ready? Verse 11. About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. He comes out swinging at the end of chapter five, right? Uh, And I think so often in scripture, we see a couple of things. Sometimes we read scripture and it is like this warm, cozy blanket that just comforts me and makes me feel good and makes me feel special. And then sometimes I read scripture and the Bible punches me in the face. And this is one of those passages. Um, and, and some of you really relate to like, man, I love the passages that like, I just want to put on a coffee cup and a mug and they make me feel good and they make me feel special. And some of you need God's word to also be like, man, I just want it straight. Shoot me straight. Get after it. Tell me where I need to grow. And that's exactly what this passage is. Um, His audience, I should say too, is really important to keep in context. And so what he's saying is he's saying, hey, you're a baby. You're a baby. By now you should have been eating solid food, but you're still on milk and you're not getting, and you're not growing and you're still in these immature things and you should have been teaching other people, but you still have to be taught. And I want you to keep in mind so that you don't get too offended, um, is that he's talking to an audience here that has been walking with Christ, following him, that he's been leading for a long period of time. And so he's saying, hey, you've been following Christ for a while. And so if you're here this morning and you are new to following Christ, this whole thing is relatively new to you. Maybe you're here and you're not there yet and you've got good questions, and you're still asking questions, and I love that you're here, and I love that you're thoughtful about this, and you're not just going to sign up because it's the cool thing to do, but you're really thoughtfully trying to decide um, more about who God is, and wherever you're at, or maybe you're here, and you have been walking with the Lord for a while, and certainly that's my testimony, and I get convicted by this to think, man, are there some areas that I am still on milk in, and so um, it's really important for us to understand that context, but regardless The principle is still really important, and the principle is still the same throughout this passage. And really, this is the overarching overarching challenge of this entire section we're studying, and it's this. It's this challenge. It's to grow in Christian maturity. That's what this is about. The author is going to, at the end of chapter 5 and through the first 12 verses of chapter 6, he's going to say, grow in Christian maturity. There is a lot at stake that he's going to show us. Uh, he's going to show us some of, the, some of what that means, 
but that's what it looks like. And so um, that's what I want you to walk away from is, man, am I growing in Christian maturity? What does that look like? What does that mean for me? Chapter six, verse one through six is gonna show us what's at stake if we are not growing as mature Christians. If we say we're following him, are we really going deep? Here we go. Verse one of chapter six. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washing, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. And then verse four is about to get squirrely. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gifts and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. There's so much to unpack here. Um, I want to try to break it down uh, as much as I can in this amount of time to really show you what's happening. And so the first three verses, what we're going to see is that we're going to see that we're, remember, called to maturity, quit being a baby, quit drinking milk, time to get solid. And what he's going to say is he's going to say, hey, from those elementary principles of Christ, man, you should be growing. Your faith should be built on this gospel of Jesus Christ. Who Christ is should grow. And he lists off some of these things, um, repentance from dead work. And so we see this transformation faith towards God, instructions about washing, which most people believed was uh, about how you become purified from sins or even different uh, views, biblical views of baptism and a debate that was happening uh, first century about what baptism looked like, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, which is the theology of what comes next for believers, not just this current life that we've surrendered, but this idea of a future reality for Christians, uh, eternal judgment, and so, so what we have is our author saying, hey, you are walking with Christ. Now you should continue to build on your theology, your knowledge of God, who God is, who you are. You should continue to build on that. It should grow. It should deepen. And, it's, and it isn't in your life. And then verses four, five, and six is this really controversial passage I'm gonna spend some time on because I think it's really important that we interpret this correctly and I wanna show you and I wanna, I wanna nerd out for a second, but I promise it's gonna be really practical and hopefully really worshipful for us if we, if we stare at this. What he says is he says, man, it's impossible in the case of those who have been once enlightened and have tasted, right, the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and tasted the goodness of the word of God and all these amazing kind of characteristics of someone who would appear to be following Christ and walking with Christ that um, they have fallen away. It's impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God. And so um, that needs to be explained. Um, from those three verses, verse 4, 5, and 6 of chapter 6 in Hebrews, is where a whole camp of theology comes, uh, and out of that camp is the idea that you can lose your salvation. Because if you just read that, just pull it out of context, and you just read those three verses, you think, okay, so someone who was kind of doing all these Christian things, they fell away. It's impossible to restore them. What does that mean? I'm going to show you three theological camps from this text. One of them is going to be out of bounds, and the other two are going to be in bounds with, with what we see in the rest of Scripture. And so that first camp is a camp that's going to say, hey, if you don't keep up, if you fall away, you cannot be restored. You will lose your salvation. 
And that is not a concept biblically that we believe is true. Uh, we here in this ministry, at this church, we don't believe that you can lose your salvation. Now, where am I getting that from? We interpret scripture through scripture. So my ability to understand what verses, I don't just get to take a verse and pull it out and say, well, this is kind of what this looks like. This is how it feels to me. So I'm just going to call this as truth. I have to compare it with all of the counsel of God throughout scripture. And we see a ton of places, a ton of places that God is very clear. Once I have you, you are mine and I will never let you go. There's a lot of verses that we have to balance with that. And so if we kind of irresponsibly take this one verse and think, oh, maybe that's what it means. Okay, cool. That's what it means. I guess you can lose your salvation. That's really irresponsible. Let me throw up four verses on the screen here. Uh, these are just references for you. And so I want you to study this yourself, right? And so I just put these references up there, but these are four out of probably 40 that show that our salvation is secure. And I'm going to read these four to you just to kind of give you um, a context of other scripture that's going to help shine light on what these three verses mean. So John chapter 10, verse 27 through 29, this is Jesus himself speaking in the gospel of John. This is what he says. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So we see this pretty clear security of those who Jesus says are his. Romans 8, 37 through 39, Paul says, No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us. If you are in Christ, then that means nothing can separate. Not your sin, not your disobedience, not your falling away, not height, nor depth, not angels, not demons. Nothing can separate you from that. Uh, we see also First um, Peter chapter 1, 4, and 5, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And then John chapter 6, 37 through 40. I hope you're seeing this theme. I hope you're seeing this point. Jesus again, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Theology is so important. And even our understanding of Scripture and how we interpret Scripture is so important to see in the big context, to dig deep into Scripture. And so uh, I would make the argument that we can't look at verses 4, 5, and 6 and say, well, I guess we can lose our salvation because that doesn't connect with the rest of Scripture. So we've got to look back through the lens of Scripture, and there's two camps. There's several camps left, but there's two main camps that I'm going to kind of illustrate, and both of them are in bounds. In fact, multiple people, even on our church staff, some of them lean in this camp, some of them lean in this camp, but I'm going to explain them both to you. One is this. One is an explanation of verses 4, 5, and 6 is not about losing your salvation at all. Uh, it's actually about losing heavenly rewards. And that's actually a biblical principle that we see in other places in Scripture. In 1 Corinthians, it talks about this idea that Man, you might be saved and you might live um, 
carnal kind of worldly life, but you might be saved and you kind of get in just by the, just by the skin on your back and the house that you built out of straw kind of gets burned up and you don't really get there with any rewards or you live a life that's obedient and you get into heaven with these rewards that we, we see the apostle Paul talk about. And so, so there's a camp that says, well, maybe that's what this is referring to, that those who've fallen away, that what, what's happening is they're losing those kind of heavenly rewards. And that's a, that is a theological reality that we see in scripture that certainly could be a part of the justification of this passage. Um, the other camp is this. My card's on the table. I lean in this camp. This is kind of how I interpret this. But again, there's a lot of really good godly people who are in both of these camps who say, ah, this is about heavenly rewards, not salvation, and other people uh, who lean this way. And, and this is how I would interpret it. That this is a passage talking about people who appear to be saved, but they are not that they have experienced all of these things, right? That they've got all of these great things. They've tasted kind of some heavenly gifts. They've got to see the Holy Spirit. They've seen the God's word and power and all of these things. And so they've had a, a, an immensely Christian experience in their life. And they've experienced a lot of Christian things and Holy Spirit things. And yet they fell away, revealing that they were never fully known and fully saved meaning that they were sealed and saved and surrendered to Christ and nothing could separate them, that that didn't happen. And the fact that they fell away fully revealed that. And we see that in other places in scripture, right? In Matthew 7, really sobering text. In Matthew 7, Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, it's like verse 20 through 22, he says, many, many will come to me at the, at the end of days and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? And didn't I cast out demons in your name? And didn't I do many mighty works in your name? So that is a varsity, what appears to be a very varsity Christian, right? Somebody who shows up, says, Lord, Lord, right? You're God. I claim you as Lord, right? And I look at all the things I did. I cast out demons and I perform miracles. So like, that's big time Christian-y stuff. Look at all the stuff I did for you. And Jesus will say to him, chapter seven of Matthew, verse 21, I never knew you. Depart from me. I don't know who you are. You, you never had a relationship with me. You never really surrendered to me. You did lots of stuff for me. You checked a whole lot of varsity Christian boxes, but I never knew you. We see that concept. We see that in Judas, right? Judas, the disciple who betrayed Jesus. Um, I mean, he was around Jesus. He saw the works of the Spirit of God. He was around the living, active Word of God walking around. I mean, he saw the miracles of God. He went on mission trips with Jesus and other disciples sharing about Christ. And we know that it would have been better for him to not be born, right? Which means he is separated from God for eternity. And so we, we see that, man, just because your proximity, just because your resume looks like deep varsity Christianity that man that doesn't necessarily mean that I know him that he knows me that I've surrendered my life to him that I'm walking deeply with the God of the universe through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit <laughs> that is sobering I know that's kind of this nerdy tangent and how we define and explain uh, chapter six, verses four, five, and six, but it is massively practical to you and to me today. And it is a massive warning here. And there's this truth that I don't want you to miss. I want you to see those verses. I want you to study on your own. I want you to dig deep into scripture and, and really figure out what is the word of God saying. But those verses, I want you to not miss this. 
Once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. We believe that. We see that in Scripture. If you are in Christ, you're His. And there is hope and there is assurance of that. But maybe also what this passage is saying is, but are you saved? Theologically, we believe once saved, always saved. But what this is saying is it's really giving us this sober caution of, yeah, but are you? But are you in me? Do you know him? And, and it's this challenge to hold tight to your faith until the end to reveal that, yes, I was always, I was always his. Let me illustrate this way. Um, in April, I will be celebrating 15 years of marriage to my amazing wife, Danielle. If you haven't met Danielle, you should one day. She's a big deal. Also incredibly patient and blind. Oh, no, just kidding. She's not blind. Uh, that was an ugly joke on me. Um, <clears throat> so uh, Danielle, um, sorry if you're blind in this room. I apologize if that's offensive. <clears throat> um, okay, so, uh, so I stood there on this stage um, 15 years ago, almost 15 years ago in April, 15 years, and, and I committed my love to her, right? And so what happened in our ceremony is we entered into a covenant, right? A covenant commitment. Um, and so what we did was we defined our love for each other in the terms of a covenant commitment, which means it's not a contract, which means my love for Danielle is not, hey, you keep your end of the bargain and I will keep my end of the bargain. It's a covenant, which is what God has done for us, which means I will love my wife forever. I will love my wife as long as I have air in my lungs, regardless of her keeping her into the bargain or meeting me halfway or whatever that looks like, that that is what I, we define in our marriage love as, is fully committed. So one day I am crying over a box that she is in or she is crying over a box that I am in, but that is where our love goes no matter what. It's commitment forever. That's how we define love. Not just, man, I got the hots for her or I have this feeling in my stomach when I'm around her. Those are all great things. I love those about that that's a part of our relationship, but that's not the foundation of our relationship and that's not how we define love. And so if a year from now, um, I just stopped being committed to her and I said, you know what? No, that's not, I'm not feeling it. I don't feel like being committed anymore. I'm, it's, I'm not in it, right? If, if that happens, then did I love her? And the answer would be no. The answer would be the way I defined love was my definition of love is for the rest of my life, I'm committed to you. And so if 15, 16 years in, I say, well, I'm no longer committed. Well, then the way I defined love then kind of invalidates the fact that I never really did because it would have shown in its fruit by the end of our lives. And so, yes, I love her now, but can you see there is also a future reality that will verify, is my love real? So that one day, when I'm at her funeral or she's at mine, we say, okay, man, to the end, this is what my love looked like. And I know that is a really sensitive thing to bring up. I, I know it is. And yet, that's what our God, that's why he built marriage the way he did, and that's as broken as marriages are and can be, but that's also what he asks from us. And so there is a current reality to your relationship with Christ, but it is rooted in the idea that, man, I am yours and I am surrendered to you. And so there's a future reality that if you look up one day and you say, yeah, no, well then did I ever? Was I ever really? No, was I there? And, and you look at that in Christianity and you say, well, of course, man, I'm signed up. 
A lot of you are here in this room and you would say, of course, I'm signed up to follow Jesus, to love Jesus. I have checked the Jesus box. And I think my old pastor used to say this a lot. He used to say, man, would we not get just enough of Jesus to inoculate us to all of him? And this idea that, you know, an an inoculation, right, that I would get a flu shot and I would get functionally a little bit of the flu, right? That's how the flu shot works. I get a little bit of the flu so that my body, right, can, can then attack that and build the antibodies and be prepared for it if I, if I get the full-on flu, that my body's ready to fight it because the antibodies have been prepped. And that we get just enough Jesus. We go to church, we do some Christian stuff, we do a Bible study, we do, we do just enough Jesus. He's a sliver of our, of our pie, right, of what we, what we give away our life to. He's this important sliver, maybe, but he's enough of a sliver to where We don't want all of him. We're not fully surrendered. We're not fully sold out. We got just enough Jesus to inoculate us to being fully surrendered to a God that's designed us to be fully surrendered to him. There was an author, a guy when I was in high school and college named uh, Joshua Harris. And he was like, he wrote all these books, like millions of books sold, Christian uh, author, pastor, created all these conferences, spoke, shared the gospel. He was like the Jonathan Placuda, if you know who JP is, of like the day back then in the late 90s and early 2000s. Uh, he ended up pastoring a huge church with a lot of people week after week preaching the gospel, right? Doing what I'm doing up there, sharing truth. He, he wrote a book in 2010. I remember I read it. Uh, it was called Dug Down Deep, and it was really all about his love for theology and passion for Jesus in 2010. And in 2019, he left his church and he, he ended up leaving his wife also and he left his church and he, more importantly, left his faith. And this is what he said. This is a quote. In 2019, he said, I have undergone a massive shift in regards to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. And I, I remember being rocked by this because he was this guy that I had read and I had listened to and I had seen at conferences. Um, man, we all, we all know somebody in this camp, right? Anybody that grew up in a youth group, man, like, or, or has those people, was like, man, that person used to be on fire for Jesus. And now you look at their life and you're like, ah, man, did they, they don't even seem to care about Jesus. What, what do I theologically do? Were they, were they, are they not a believer? Were they not a believer then? Were the what do I do with that? Maybe you're in that camp. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like you were in that camp of, man, I used to be close to Jesus. I used to walk with him. I used to know what that looked like. I used to feel that way. I used to be surrendered to him. And man, I've walked away. I put him on a back shelf and I know it. I love that you're here. Listen to me. If that's you, if you find yourself convicted in that camp, Listen to me, it is not an accident that you are here today. That's not just some coincidence that you just happened to come to church this day when I was preaching Hebrews chapter six. God wants you to hear this because God is not through with you, because God doesn't give up on his people, because God is gonna chase you down because he loves you and in his grace call you back because that's what our God does and I think it's not a coincidence. I think he's got something sweet for you and I love that you're here. Our God restores and he brings together and brings back those who wander. 
because he is still telling a story that we see very temporally, but he sees long-term and he is still doing that work because the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which means that he now sits on the throne and means that he is, he is not just our personal Lord and Savior, he is our king in which I submit my life to. We last Sunday um, had a baptism right on the floor, right here, and there were these nine women, and every one of them I asked, have you surrendered your life to Christ? And they said, yes. And I got to dunk them in water. Not that there's anything magical about baptism. There's not, there's, that's not a magical thing that did anything. That's just a public profession of something that those women had said, I am surrendered. My life is no longer my own. I'm dead and buried. And I, I'm raised and my life is now Christ's. And that's what that public profession of faith is. And that's what it looks like to be his, to be surrendered. And if you have wandered, then that's what he says. He says, come back to that sweet place of surrender where there is peace and there is life and there is life abundant. That's who our God is. Hold on. Don't walk away. Go deep. Get your roots deeper. You've walked away because you were in the shallow and come back to the deep end. Look at verses um, seven and eight. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. And then look at the juxtaposition with verse eight. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. So here we see this field that some of it produces good crop and then some of those roots produce thorns and thistles and not burned as in hellfire burned, but burned as in a, a, a farmer who says, I gotta make this field what it's supposed to be. And let's rip that stuff out and let's cultivate and I, I love that idea of what is your life producing? What is the roots of your life? Is there depth and Christian maturity that is producing fruit or is it producing thorns? I'm reminded in Matthew 13, Jesus tells a story, a parable where he throws out these four seeds. He throws out one seed, it lands on a path, the birds eat it, gone. Throws out one seed, it lands on rocks and it grows real fast. It sprouts up, but its roots, because it's on stone, are real shallow real shallow roots. And so the first time temptation and, and crummy circumstances come and the sun comes out, plant withers, dies, it's gone. Another seed lands in thorns and it grows, but those thorns just strangle it out. And then the fourth seed lands on good soil, good, rich soil, and it produces fruit because that's what it's designed to do. Are you maturing in your Christian walk? Are you tilling the soil of your heart to say, God, would this be a place, would my heart be a place that you would grow, that you would deepen? Would you do that? Let me, let me end Hebrews chapter six, just this part that, that we're studying today with some encouragement. I'm gonna cough first though. <clears throat> Nine, 10, 11, and 12 of chapter six. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, be encouraged. In your case, we feel sure of better things things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. You see, he sees those who love him. He sees those who are working and, and poured out for him. Verse 11, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness and to have full assurance of hope because it can be found. We don't have to live in fear. We can have assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit 
the promise. Man, I, I love where we end because there's a lot of sobering stuff. The first eight, nine verses of chapter six, but I love where the author ends to say, be encouraged. We have a God who sees, and we have a God who's still calling you to cultivate. And so here's how I want to end. I want to give you practical steps to walk out of here to say, okay, I get it. I hear it. The word of God is a serious, sober reminder and warning today. Do I know him? Am I surrendered? Am I digging deep roots? Maybe you are, but your roots are still shallow. God, would I be off of milk and onto solid food? How do I do that? I remember hearing a pastor one time say, here are three practical steps to Christian maturity. Ready? Three practical steps to Christian maturity. They are receive, watch, and do. Really practical. Receive, watch, and do. The first one, receive mature teaching. Receive mature teaching. And, And here's what I mean by that. This is what we would say is mature teaching, right? This is the word of God, right? Be in places that is going to preach and teach the word of God. Not just here at Christ Chapel, but even what I say. Even take what I say and run it through the grid of, eh, I don't know, I want to I weigh what Ben says or what Nathan says or Francis says or anybody up here on this stage with the word of God. This is our authority. That's what we believe. It's not Ben seems convincing or this podcast, this guy seems to make a good argument. It's what's the word of God say? So find yourself in deep, Bible teaching. Find that. Read books that are deeply unpacking scripture. And if you don't have them or you don't know where to start, reach out to us. I love buying books on Amazon. There is a, it is, it releases dopamine in my brain. And I would love to buy you some books, man. John Owen and some Puritans and A.W. Tozer and I mean, R.C. Sproul. Like if you don't, if you want to just go deep and read, golly, we would love to just say, hey man, chew on some of these you know, philosophers and Christian thinkers who are unpacking scripture and then weigh what they're saying with scripture. Listen to podcasts of people who are preaching God's word, not just cool, topical, relevant things, but God's word. Receive mature teaching. The other one, watch mature people. Watch mature people. And here's what I mean by that. <clears throat> We're designed to be in community. We're designed to be in community. And specifically, we're designed to be around people who are more mature than us. Um, so you, maybe you got parents who are walking with the Lord. And, and so, man, lean into that. Or, or regardless, you got parents who have experiences and thoughts and, and wrestle with those. Um, one of the things that I am most thankful for in this ministry is that we have intergenerational discipleship that happens. Um, family nights are one of my favorite things we do, and we talk about them a lot here. But every other Sunday... There's a family from Christ Chapel of mature believers. We got nine or 10 of them and they are mature believers who love Jesus. And they're a little older and they got a few steps ahead of you and they open up their homes every other week and they just say, come on, come eat dinner at our house and let's talk about Jesus. Let's pray for you. Ask them questions. Show up at their house. Show up at their house and just be around mature believers. Get in a student group led by somebody who's maybe just a step or two ahead of you and ask questions and, and have those student group leaders be like, well, that's actually a good question. I don't know. Let's dig in together. Now find community wherever you are. If you're the parachurch or you serve somewhere else or you, you're serving in a ministry, make sure you're around people who are more mature than you. And you say, man, will you pour into me? Will you pour into me? Would you show me what your maturity as you deepen your roots looks like? We're designed for that. Watch mature people. And then lastly, do mature things. <clears throat> do mature things. And here's what I mean by that. Um, man, we're called so much of 
this going from milk to solid food. Um, it, it comes down to, man, just obedience. God calling us to take some steps, to, to grow, to be obedient in some ways. And one of the things that I wish I could just say, I wish I could say this is just an observation because I've seen it in other people, but honestly, it's an observation because I just see it in my own heart, is, man, I will be obedient, but God, you got to make me feel it. You got to make me want it. And man, so often I put, I put obedience as the caboose of the train and I put my feelings as the engine of the train. And I'm like, man, I don't feel like doing that. I don't feel like waking up early and spending time in the word. I don't feel like going into some stranger's house and studying God's word. I don't feel like, you know, asking this, you know, fraternity brother who I respect his walk, if he'd disciple me. I don't feel like doing that really. That's awkward. I just don't feel passionate about that. And so I don't do that. And I want to encourage you, man, your feelings are lying to you. And your feelings are going to keep you in the shallow end. And your feelings shouldn't be driving the train. We let them drive and they shouldn't. Now we should just be obedient. One step after the other. God, what is that next right step? And here's the thing. It's going to look totally different for everybody in this room. But if you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And maybe that Holy Spirit, you've, you've calloused because you've ignored it. But it is still there. Listen. Spend time listening to that Holy Spirit. And, he, and that Holy Spirit will convict you. Maybe it's something you need to step out of. Maybe it's something you need to walk away from. That The Spirit of God is saying, you need to walk away from this. You need to leave this. You need to flee from this. Or maybe it's something the Holy Spirit is saying, you need to step into this. You need to do this. Step into obedience, not because you feel like it, but because that's how you dig deep roots. That's how you dig deep roots. And then would we be people who we are loved by the grace of God? Make no mistake. You're not going to earn your salvation. You're not going to be able to earn that. It is purchased for us. While we were broken and while we were dead, Christ came and we are saved by grace through faith. So if you are in Christ, you have surrendered to the grace of God. You didn't earn it. You didn't get deep roots so that you got saved. You got saved and that's the seed. But now that you're saved, grow. Build your life on that foundation. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. God, um, Holy Spirit, work. Father, would, you, would your Holy Spirit just move in our lives and show us the areas of obedience, God? Open the doors um, for us to grow and mature as believers, God? Would we not stay stagnant? Would we not stay shallow? Would we not stay on milk? God, thank you that you just didn't call us some transaction with you, that we pray a prayer and now we're done. You called us to a deep walk with you. We don't want to miss it. So God, for my brothers and sisters in this room, would they leave here encouraged um, that we are saved by grace? but also would they leave here convicted and inspired that, man, we get to play a part in how deep our roots go. So draw us near as we draw to you. Do what only you can do. In the name of Jesus.